you control the guy or the woman who runs the run, run brings out the carts on, 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 on a forklift. It's time for the Buff Show. One hundred year. Look, here's the lives. It's just. It's. I mean, you think about it. And no idea what you said, Joe, but we understand the Buff Show. Deeply held by. Uh... By President, stop moving that, 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 that uh, you know, what's this thing called? That's a teleprompter, Joe. We'll take it from here. Let's go it. Joe Brandon, I agree. And here's your host, Matt Buff. Welcome to the Matt Buff Show. Great to have you with us on this Thursday. Ready for a rockin' show. Check out thebuffshow.com to watch full show videos Check out our social links right there. Find us on AM 950, 94.9 FM, The Answer, Orlando. Also on Patriot Podcast Network on Roku TV. And, of course, anywhere you like to listen or watch excellent programming. That's what we're doing on The Buff Show. Paul Mango, Deputy Director of Health and Human Services, is going to be here. He was the architect of Warp Speed. Yeah, We're going to paint a picture of what America would have looked like and what their agenda was with Warp Speed, besides just getting out of vaccine, there's more to the story that you won't want to miss. Also, Freedom Foundation Thursday. And, of course, we're going to play for you a special clip from our Florida Parent Education Conference in Orlando, the homeschool event convention that we were at. We got some phenomenal content for you as well from there. But first... I want to talk about the liberalization of churches. There's an epidemic spreading of socialism, and it's even hitting Christians. And I went to, was scrolling through social media and saw this progressive Christianity. I know, it sounds like an oxymoron, right? And uh, it turns out our old friend of the show, Pastor Chris Quintana, did a presentation on this. So I'm going to bring in Chris with us here. Chris, great to see you again. Well, thanks for having me, Matt. I appreciate it. It's good to be with you again. It's good to be it's good to be seen, as they say. <laughs> Turns out you did a um, PowerPoint presentation on this several years back. There are eight points of uh, liberal Christianity, the oxymoron in action. Right. And we're going to talk about that with you. And then Jim Fletcher is with us too, director at NCLCI. Everybody check out the National Christian Leadership. For Israel, nclci.org is the website for that. Jim Fletcher, welcome back to the show as well. Good to be with you. People go to these churches, and <clears throat> it's all just, you know, hey, let's all be better people and have a good day, and don't forget to leave an offering. <laughs> be the best you can be. Be the best person you can be by just being nice to everyone. And, oh, thanks for joining us at the service today, Kamala Harris. Jim Fletcher, what is going on, man? <laughs> well, uh, you know, this is really the culmination of 100 years of, of liberal ideas in the church, liberal scholarship in the seminaries, and, you know, stuff that was confined there a long time ago is now out in the open everywhere. And, you know, these people that you mentioned, the progressives, uh, and it's, it's really just paganism, pantheism. Uh, I, I looked at their website and, you know, one of their people, uh, she wants to blend Buddhism with Christianity. And, uh, you know, it, it, but the bottom line is this is just the ideas of men. 
this isn't this has nothing to do with with God's word and scripture. No, nothing at all. And Chris, I saw this video, Pastor Chris Quintana on with us too. I saw this video about this uh, leftist pastor. Go, hey, don't miss our show on uh, progressivechristianity.org where we're going to be going back through the eight points of progressive, progressive Christianity. So I watched it and watched what she was saying. And then I found the eight points. And uh, number one is believe the, that following the path and teachings of Jesus can lead to awareness an experience of the sacred and oneness and unity of all life. What I just said to you makes absolutely no sense. Yeah, and see, to the to the casual reader, this may seem somewhat reasonable. It's kind of abstract, but um, when you look at the last part of that sentence, I've got my copy of it up here as well, but it talks about the experience of the sacred and the oneness and the unity of all life. That's not a biblical concept. So that is uh, as as Jim had just mentioned, it's pantheism, but the idea that there's really no distinction, spiritually speaking, between all different things, um, definitely not a Christian concept. So when you read these eight points, there are some of them that are just so obviously wrong and, and in error, but other ones where you just go, okay, I can, I can see how you could make the case for that if you didn't know the, the underlying philosophy behind it. So um, what we ended up doing was give some examples from one particular church where all of this was being said and his approach towards the scripture. He actually had 16 ways that you could implement this kind of philosophy. And let's just be honest. This is not a, this is not a theology. It's not even a doctrine. This is a philosophy and they slap a Christian sticker on it and somehow make it palatable to people where it really is. It, it, it's a doorway to bring in progressive um, political views into the church and make them mainstream. So that's why you find these same ones are very pro-LGBTQ. They're very pro-abortion. They're the ones that are out there uh, protesting the whole Roe versus Wade potential reversal. You find people from churches there. Well, the church may somehow themselves feel conflicted, you know, conflicted, but uh, the Bible's not conflicted on matters of marriage and sex and, uh, and um, abortion, things like that. Bible's pretty clear on all that stuff. So if the church is wrong on it, it's the church's problem. It's not the Bible's problem. <clears throat> Oneness and unity of all life, Jim. I've seen the coexist bumper stickers, and I'm like, we all coexist. I exist with a liberal, uh, uh, with a hippie. I We exist together. <laughs> but this oneness and unity of mind and spirit that is the the last part of that sentence and step in that first thing. What are they trying to achieve? Well, you know, you have to. The question is whether they're naive or or complicit in uh, uh, you know trying to deconstruct Christianity. I mean, um, this is really New Age uh, ideology and. Uh, they don't. They don't want to actually coexist though with us, and that's that's something they don't talk about openly. But they'll they'll embrace everyone on the planet, literally, except people who say that God's revelation is found in Scripture. Period. And and Chris's point is perfect. It is a philosophy. It's a philosophical understanding of the world around you. And they simply create 
this imaginary place in their own minds. And, and it has nothing to do with ultimate truth. You know, look, can I jump in here real quick, Matt? Because I would love to just say, looking at that, there's there's what we hear as pantheism and then also panentheism. When you hear pantheism, it's God is, everything is God. God is, is everywhere at all times, impersonal. That's the God of the new age. When you say he, it, when you use the word panentheism, that means that God is in all things. Once again, not a biblical understanding, but this idea of sacred and unity and all the rest. If you if you read that again as a philosophy, what would you do when you read that Jesus says in John fourteen six that I Jesus singularly am the way, the truth, and the life? No one comes to the Father but through me, making it totally exclusive and not inclusive. And this is what people miss on this, because that sounds that that entertains the mind and everything seems rosy and, you know, fluffy bunnies and butterflies, and rainbows. Right. But the problem is that the Bible teaches something completely different. I'll say it this way. Heaven is the most exclusive thing that you can possibly imagine in your mind. And yet it is open to all. But it has to be on his terms. Progressive Christianity teaches the complete polar opposite of that truth. Yeah, they do. That's the step three. See community that is in inclusive to all people in caps, including but not limited to conventional Christians and questioning skeptics, believers, believers and agnostics, women and men. I should say men and women. Those of all sexual orientations and gender identities, and those of all classes and abilities. When Jesus would confront somebody of that stature, it was go and sin no more. Now the message is just be yourself and continue to sin, but we won't judge you for it. That's not a church. That's a social gathering. Yeah. And, and, and that, that model has really spilled over into the evangelical world in the church growth movement. You no longer hear sermons about sin, redemption, repentance, things like that. It's all, you know, Rick Warren's UBU. Uh, it's the idea that, you know, God just accepts you the way you are from here on out, and, and it takes the burden off of you. Um, but but it's, it's also important to remember, as I said earlier, this stuff is not new at all. Um, you know, this is really the Unitarian view of the 17th, 18th centuries, right. um, 19th century. Uh, early American Unitarians, you know, this is universalism, uh, uh, a movement away from scripture, which is at the root of all the, the problem we see today. You know, Matt, you said something really interesting, and I think it really bears repeating because it was such an important part and it's it can easily get lost. It can easily get lost. You had mentioned that Jesus talked about go and sin no more. When you read point three of all of those different things, what biblical Christianity teaches is whoever your personal identity and whatever your personal identity is, it ends the moment that you come to know him. And the Bible says in uh, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that anyone that is a, a, that is in Christ Jesus positionally means you didn't used to be, but you are now. If you're in Christ, then the former things have passed away and all things become new. There's a change that is supposed to take place. So whatever your identity was, whatever you you held to, that comes to an end. You're still the same person. You know, that, that part doesn't change. Your personality and everything about you, how do you change that? You can't. But as far as your, your view and everything and what you believe, 
that is absolutely goes through a radical transformation in which they make no provision for that. They say basically slap the T-shirt the on and you're good to go. Be whoever you want to and let your freak flag fly. <clears throat> That's not the redemptive process. That's... Yeah. Not the new, all things are made new. No, that's just me with a different t-shirt. Like you said, it's just a, it's just a, uh, an idea. Jim, when the Bible talks about the road is narrow, the path is narrow, man, they weren't kidding. I mean, it's getting so narrow. It's hard to find the right path. If you're somebody who's lost and you, you go to one of these churches, that that's not the right path there. And so, that narrow path just becomes harder and harder to find in our society. And we're paying for it, too. We're paying for it as a society. To catch this full interview and the entire show, visit thebuffshow.com. We'll be right back. Hey, you may have heard radio show hosts talking trash on solar. Yes, even conservative talk show hosts. There was a silly comparison to trucks running 10,000 miles, carbon emissions, and panel production. It came off as like a liberal argument against a liberal problem. Shallow knowledge as opposed to experts in the field. Politics, global warming, and other environmental concerns aside, the number one reason to buy solar is simple math. Have you looked at your power bill? It has risen in the last five years. How much more will it go up in the next five years? It's a rigged game and all solar energy empowers you to stop playing a rigged game. A solar electric system freezes your costs and shields you from upcoming rate increases. If you choose to finance a solar electric system, the payment on a system that zeroes out your bill is typically less than your current power bill. This is simple math. Call All Solar Energy in Longwood tomorrow at 866-412-4218 or online at www.allsolarenergy.com. More information on this later in the show. Liam Fitzpatrick's Restaurant and Irish Pub in Lake Mary. Happy hour drafts every day of the week and all day Sunday. Dollar off drafts and house wines, $2 off well liquors. And Liam Fitzpatrick's has tons of special events tonight. It's Taco Tuesday on Thursdays. Live music and specials all night on tacos, tequila, and margaritas. Friday's live music and happy hour, then brunch with $10 champagne over the weekend. Mention the Buff Show, get 10% off your order. Liam Fitzpatrick's Restaurant and Irish Pub in Lake Mary. LiamFitzpatrick's.com. Welcome back to the Matt Buff Show. We have a special guest for you. We're going to talk to one of the key leaders of Operation Warp Speed. All right. And he also was former Deputy Chief of U.S. Health and Human Services. He's got a new book coming out. His name is Paul Mango. The new book is Warp Speed, Inside the Operation to Beat COVID, the Critics, and the Odds. Paul Mango, welcome to the Buff Show. Great to have you. Hey, thanks, Matt. Glad to be on the show. Well, we're great to have you. We're going to post the link to the book. Despite all supply chain issues, despite all Amazon taking all the pulp for their boxes, we found a way to get this book out there. It'll be available June 14th, and uh, you can get it on Amazon and across the platform. So, Paul, uh, thanks for uh, thanks for getting it out there, and we definitely have a lot to talk about, so thanks for joining us. Yeah, my pleasure, Matt. I didn't think it was going to take longer to get the book out than it took to get the vaccines out, but that's uh, that's the nature of the economy today. 
<laughs> that is absolutely. Let's talk. Let's jump right in and talk about warp speed. I was really thrilled with chapter one, where you talked about the key players and everybody coming together and the fire date and everything like that. Um, when it comes to the vaccine and rush and the red tape that came out, two problems I have with is the term safe and effective, which is widely used when it comes to it. Emergency use. And we're going to also talk about the other treatments that were basically put on the shelf. But first of all, your warp speed um, efforts were all kind of sh- overshadowed by mandates and an election that went south and all kinds of uh, travel restrictions and everything. Was that your goal for Operation Warp Speed to put the American people on lockdown and panic? Was that your goal for developing a vaccine as fast as you did? Well, our goal was to develop a vaccine so that we could let Americans live their lives again and uh, you know, feel comfortable and feel protected in the context of a global pandemic. So it was actually the opposite. And to your point about how it got overshadowed, um, that was intentional. We sequestered the Operation Warp Speed team from all of the politics and the campaign and everything that was going on at the time so they could do work on behalf of the American people. So that was intentional. I wrote the book because I want the American people to understand what happened during that period and how a small group of patriots, quite honestly, working with the private sector, delivered these vaccines in absolute record time. What was that like? Um, Were you getting a lot of pressure from the president? Were you getting a lot of pressure from Congress? I know a lot of people were out there worried that they couldn't go outside if they didn't have a vaccine. We learned a lot as the time went on, but talk about the pressure you got from the top. Yeah, well, the president, and I write about this, Matt, in the book, as you know, um, played a very important role as what I call the executive sponsor of the effort. What does that mean? It's a corporate term, but Uh, What it means is he provided us all the resources, all the air cover, uh, all the support we needed. But what he didn't do was meddle in the effort. He let the experts do their thing. So we went over and briefed him every few weeks um, to keep him informed of what was going on. He never put any pressure on us. Of course, he wanted a vaccine out as quickly as possible. We had hundreds of Americans dying every day. But uh, he let the team uh, do their job. And uh, he was very much focused, believe it or not, on therapeutics. Uh, So we'd go into the Oval Office, we'd give him an update on vaccines, and he'd say, listen, guys, that's great, but uh, vaccines are never going to be perfect. I think what the American people want to know is if they wind up in the hospital, will they, is there a cure uh, for them? So please brief me on uh, how you're doing on therapeutics as well. So subsequent to that, we, of course, did. Uh, But that was his concern. He had four close friends, he told us, who died of COVID, and it was very uh, moving for him, and uh, he wanted this done quickly. Well, that's good to hear about the therapeutics push because that was tampered down a lot by the media. And I know you were sequestered. I know you didn't want to have that discussions out there. So when it came to the Health and Human Services website, were you guys putting out information like to the CDC or to whoever about therapeutics as soon as you found out? Even before the vaccines were developed, were you doing trials or finding out that therapeutics were working in certain situations? Yes. So what we did, Matt, was uh, we were very deliberate about how we communicated. And every other week, we had a full press briefing with any media participant. And we also had a formal briefing to the Hill, to the senators and to the congressmen who were interested in this. And we did it actually in reverse order. We did the Hill first. And then an hour later, we did the media uh, so that we, uh, you know, so that Congress understood what was happening. 
And we gave them the latest information that we had. And we did that uh, from the summer all the way through the fall every other week uh, for the purpose of making sure they knew what we knew. Now, there were certain things we couldn't talk about. Uh, there was what they call in the government market moving and sensitive information. So we couldn't say, for instance, oh, Pfizer's about to get an approval or Moderna's about to get an approval. That was against our ethics rules because people could then trade stock on that, you know, quote, inside information. So there were a few things we could not talk about, but uh, we could give them updates on participation in clinical trials, uh, some of the early results, uh, how we were doing on organizing, of course, all of the logistics associated with it, the CVS and Walgreens and FedEx and UPS and McKesson, everyone who participated. So we did that every other week and we didn't wait for them to ask us. Uh, we wanted to be very uh, active about this and make sure we, we kept them abreast of what was happening. The first private sector company to come on board was Pfizer BioNTech. Was that correct? That was uh, December 11th, I believe. That's correct. Followed by Moderna, uh, uh, December 16th. So they were just back to back. Okay, good deal. And <clears throat> the, when it came to Pfizer, <clears throat> that did get looked at, leaked out pretty good. <laughs> they were going to be the first one. Their stock subsequently just shot through the roof because they were going to get emergency authorization. How did you guys move red tape to get emergency authorization for the private sector? Yeah, it's a great uh, topic, Matt. And I think the listeners and the viewers should understand, and I write about this in the book, that the FDA did not compromise a single standard of evaluation, but it completely changed its process of evaluation. So there's a gentleman down there who leads that center at the FDA. His name is Peter Marks. He reorganized his staff to work three shifts a day, seven days a week. Uh, so continuous evaluation, typically it would be eight hours a day, five days a week. Uh, and what he promised us in the summer of 2020, long before any data were submitted for emergency use authorization, he said, if you give me good data, I'll make sure I can complete the evaluation within 14 days. And just so that the viewers understand, a typical process could be four to six months, just to give you a sense for yeah. that. Uh, and Peter Marks delivered on that 14 days uh, in all three cases, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, as well as uh, Pfizer-BioNTech. So the process of evaluation was changed. The standards were not lowered. In fact, they were raised uh, for the evaluation in terms of quality and safety. And I know you want to talk about that, but process was changed. Standards uh, were not. Well, well, we'll talk more about that when it comes to distribution um, later on, because I definitely want to talk about how people used their power to mandate said vaccine that was brand new. And, and, and it caused a lot of problems in this country. But on that topic, Biden and Harris both disparaged all the work you were doing. They disparaged warp speed and what you guys were doing at Health and Human Services and said, we'll never take a Trump vaccine. We'll never do that. And they get into power and they start mandating it everywhere. And be vaccines became their only tool in the toolbox at that point. What changed with them? Yeah, it's very interesting, Matt. Uh, in fact, they were some of the first in line to get their vaccines. They got their vaccines before they were inaugurated. Uh, so after all the bluster and political positioning of don't trust a, a Trump vaccine, they uh, got, got themselves first in line effectively. I think it was within a week at the time they were approved. And that's just politics. And we understood that. 
What we didn't understand was how the scientific community, and again, I write about this in the book, leaders in the scientific community said it is impossible to get a vaccine before the end of the year. That was literally the words they use, impossible. Uh, so that was a little bit more uh, disappointing. But let me say this about the mandates. We never would have mandated uh, this vaccine. This vaccine is not for everyone, okay? The standards of emergency use, this is very important. The standards of emergency use authorization are the following. Given the full weight of the scientific evidence that we have at this point in time, do the benefits of this vaccine outweigh the risks? And that should not be taken on a population basis. That should be taken on an individual basis, okay? Uh, what I mean by that is if you're an 85-year-old with underlying health conditions, this vaccine, the risks of it are significantly less than the risks of you getting COVID and potentially dying. If you're a Stanford varsity athlete, right, 22 years old with no underlying health conditions, maybe the risks of this vaccine are actually higher So what we than, than the benefits to you. So what we always fell back on is this should be a conversation between one's physician and one's self. That's where the decision should be made. The federal government should never mandate vaccines. That's what our position was. I think they changed uh, because uh, their powers of persuasion uh, weren't working all throughout the spring, and they decided to put the hammer down on the American people, something we never would have done. That's the picture I want to paint for everybody watching and viewing the show. What warp speed and the vaccine would have looked like in the second administration of President Donald J. Trump. On your, it sounds like from the beginning, and I was reading through the book of the key players that were there, there's a lot of good doctors that were part of that. And of course, Dr. Fauci was there too, <laughs> who changes with the wind. But you guys on, on the uh, CDC website, you would have listed ivermectin, the vaccines. It sounds like you would have listed everything and talked about everything. Yeah, well, um, and things like hydroxychloroquine and so forth, they were approved by the FDA at one point. So, you know, the FDA has been criticized in all of this, but I think they actually did a pretty spectacular job, at least when we were there, because you remember the standard I just talked about, given the full weight of the scientific evidence at this point in time, did the benefits outweigh the risks? Well, they took some chances on a few things because they thought in the middle of a pandemic, things like hydroxychloroquine, which, which had been around for 50 years, by the way, they, it, it wasn't a safety issue. The question was one of effectiveness. Right. So effective. when they found out over time that it wasn't as effective, they pulled that emergency use authorization. That's a symbol, I think, of the system working, not of the system not working. To catch this full interview and the entire show, visit thebuffshow.com. We'll be right back. Action Plus Pressure Cleaning is the official pressure washing company of The Buff Show. While Matt's doing the dirty work on the show, Action Plus Pressure Washing has been doing the dirty work for the last 15 years in Central Florida. They use a soft wash system to clean pool enclosures, driveways, pool decks, houses, and commercial property. They even clean large and small parking lots and buildings. Wow! Action Plus offers other services such as lawn maintenance, one-time service to weekly service, mowing, weeding, edging, and trimming, and hauling away debris. You can get more than one service, and they offer bundle pricing. Check out their weekly, bi-weekly, and monthly services for lawn maintenance and ask about their free standard two-driveway with house wash services. Family-owned and operated, get your free estimate at actionpluspressurecleaning.com or call 386-506-1048. That's 386-506-1048. Action Plus Pressure Cleaning. They aim to please.
since 2012. Cellulartronics has been providing Central Florida with the best phone repair, electronics repair, and computer repair. They fix all electronics from iPhone, Samsung, Sony, and many more. They also do TV repair and fix your tablets. Right now, you can get a glass back cover for the iPhone 8 to an iPhone X for only $95. iPhone 11 and up back covers are only $120. With one super convenient location, 31 South Charles Richard Beale Boulevard in DeBerry. Or call them at 386-516-6185. Visit Cellulartronics.com. Cellulartronics. Welcome back to the Map Up Show at the 2022 Florida Parent Education Association Homeschool Convention. Having a great time. Marina, Moms for America, we've made a great partnership today. We have had so much fun. We have learned so much. And this message of freedom is what a message to give your audience. People who love freedom and we're giving them practical reasons. And Dr. Cole, I absolutely loved your talk last night. You said 20 different topics in a short time, and I'm so excited to dive into them. It is. I got this article here. Idaho Doctors Pathology Board Accuses Dr. Ryan Cole of Endangering Public Health. There, I could have pulled 20 more of these. What are you doing out there, Dr. Uh, well, Ryan Cole? Welcome to having the world's <laughs> worst doctor on your uh, on your show, yes. Yeah, we have the worst so doctor I, ever I, on our show today. What I, the heck? You know, let's see. A guy who trained at the Mayo Clinic, board-certified uh, anatomic clinical pathologist, seen 500,000 patients diagnostically in my career, haven't had a patient care complaint against me in my entire career. Crap like this is uh, uh, a left-wing narrative bot media. And they can attack me all they want. I know who I am. At the end of the day, I've only cared for people. They keep defaming me. Don't worry, their lawsuits are coming. Yeah. Uh, I will sue them for this kind of crap. In fact, I may have to take a picture of that one. I'll send you this article. Uh, let's see. Oh, yeah. I uh, put the source, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's an absurdity what we're experiencing. If you want to know what's going on, follow the money. If you want to know the truth, look, look who's getting attacked, censored, and silenced. Exactly. I invite everybody and anybody, anytime. Look, if you disagree with me, fantastic, wonderful. Real life is about dialogue, about interacting, about disagreeing. But if you don't like what I'm saying scientifically, bring me better data. And which I right. invited over the uh, over the two years. And how many colleagues have taken me up on that? How many media from whatever side? I'll go on any. I'll go on CNN. I'll go on Fox. I'll go on whatever. I don't care if it's liberal or conservative. I know science and data. Yeah. You know, seeing a half million patients in your career means something. That does mean something, and science is learning new things, right? Isn't no, science? No, there's the science now. There's that's one person. Doctor Fauci yeah, is yeah, the yeah. science. Now, science is always evolving and testing and hypothesizing. Exactly. It's it's always moving and growing. I, I I looked you up. I know you're a real man that can handle this stuff, and I looked at your background, and I'm like, this. This journalist, right, who has Pretend no medical yes. background, and in, 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 in air quoted no, journalist that's an in my head. And an that's what not it is. No, not at all. No, they did not. And they're just saying that comments that he that incense vaccines are harmful and mass are ineffective, which is true. Well, I'm gonna bring that. Their quest. They're saying that. Public comments and it says vaccines are harmful, mass are ineffective. That is true. If they're not harmful, then why does my 14-year-old son 
who's playing for the high school baseball team have to get an EKG now all of a sudden. Correct, yeah, because we're seeing an amount of cardiac damage in youth that is unprecedented in world history because we're putting a gene into their body that they don't need. And it's a shot for a virus that no longer exists. It's very two simple questions. Is the Wuhan variant here, yes or no? No. Has the shot ever been reformulated? No. Wrong shot, wrong virus, wrong protein. All risk, zero benefit. But a whole bunch of political lockdownage. The reason I bring up the EKG, Marina, because there has been a substantial amount of athletes falling down dead with heart problems, and it was so alarming that it's even making some mainstream news. Finally. Finally. It took months, but the number grew so high, Dr. Cole, that they had to start reporting on it because some of these athletes were pretty famous from the countries they came from. Correct. And this is where the world needs to wake up. Look at it, and if it seems absurd, then it's probably wrong. And this is absurd to see this many athletes collapsing, this much heart damaging children, and people not to wake up and say, wait, there must be something wrong here. And then we have people in the medical profession that are unfortunately under this mass hypnosis still, that, oh, safe and effective, safe and effective, That's, it's, it's a mantra beaten to their minds. They're afraid to lose their job, they're afraid to speak out. But that's not how you do science by opinion. You do science by science, by data, by experiments. This is a mass experiment on humanity. The worst medical product ever released on humanity and still allowed to persist within the world. Why have we not withdrawn all of these? I mean, almost 30,000 deaths in the in the open bear system now. Two million adverse events. Europe, more than that. All around the world, millions upon millions of injuries. And it's a product that they're allowing to still persist because too many people have too many financial interests and power interests behind this horrible game of harming humanity. And we just turned our sovereignty over to the WHO to make it yet. even worse. Yeah, we're battling that, but yeah, we're fighting we're, that. But it's it, we we did turn our so- sovereignty over to them in 2020. We did. Yeah. I mean, they dictated policy, and we followed. I mean, that's pretty much turning over your sovereignty. Right. You know what I'm saying? But it's just unbelievable the amount of uh, coverage. I mean, we had Dr. Latell running through a hospital earlier. Uh, so a family member can see another family. It's like the Underground Railroad with doctors right now. Mm-hmm. and it's, it's just unbelievable. What do you make of all this? You know, one of the outcomes, Dr. Cole, that you talk about is fear. Fear of the vaccine. Fear that they took the vaccine. Fear that they'll get sick whether they took it or not. One of the worst groups, you discussed this, is youth. So talk to us about this epidemic of fear among youth and to parents, to aunts, to uncles, to grandparents, to teachers who have youth in their life, how can we help them to step away from this epidemic of fear that's come alongside all the things you're talking about? The first thing we need to do is set the example. Part of the problem is we need to we need to wake the mama bears up. And you heard me say last night and today, it's not our job to wake up the sheep. It's our job to wake up the other lions. These moms should be putting themselves between that doctor and that needle and their child saying, not in my child. These are experiments. The, the lipid nanoparticle 
does not stay in the arm. It goes anywhere in the body. It's like garlic. It diffuses and goes everywhere. It can go to your brain, your bone marrow, your spleen, your liver, your ovaries. Do we have long-term safety data on this? No. no. Do we have any proof that lipid nanoparticles and mRNA are safe? No. no. Moderna was zero for eight over their many years of existence. They've never safely brought yeah. a product to market because it's always failed. Borla, the CEO of Pfizer, said to his scientists, wait, why are we doing an mRNA shot? We've only been working on this for two years. And they said, well, it's just what we're doing. And for some reason, if you go back to the Milken Institute interview with Rick Bright and Fauci back in 2017, they're saying, well, gosh, if we had a pandemic and emergency authorization, we could try this new mRNA technology on humanity. The moms need to stand up. The dads need to stand up. The children are at zero risk. Hear me again, zero risk from COVID. Sure, they may get sick, they may get a cold, but if you allow somebody who's already had COVID, 75% of America's kids have had COVID, to get a shot on top of their God-given recovered natural immunity, uh, you are increasing the risk of harm by two to fourfold. We are harming a generation of children where narrowing their immune response. There are so many risks to this unproven technology that it's really a travesty that there are so many silent voices yet in this, not, not just the nation, but the world. People are afraid. How do you overcome fear? With courage. And, and courage, you, you can be afraid, but don't live in that place. It's bad for your immune system. It's bad for a society. If you are going to acquiesce your freedoms, your rights, your constitutional given rights to fear, probably deserve to be where you are and I'm not saying that in judgment I'm saying wake up wake up we don't have a medical emergency anymore and those who do get this shot are getting COVID at a higher rate because the shots suppress your immune system plain and simply suppress your immune system and we don't know for how long and the dose makes the poison the more shots you get the worse you're gonna be and it's the wrong shot for the wrong virus anyway people need to wake up moms need to wake up children need to wake up and say, no, my body, you don't get to violate my body. You don't get to violate scientific principles. And this has become a political game and a giant game of chicken. And they're playing chicken with your soul and they're playing chicken with your mind and they're playing chicken with your body. And you need to win that game. Let's talk about the Pfizer data dump, but first, excellent freaking point you got me fired up thank you There's nobody putting a shot in my damn kids i'll tell right? you that. <laughs> right i'm telling you what but the pfizer uh, pfizer had about that a 75 year plan to release data to hide it yeah to when everybody's dead and then it comes out correct and but then all of a sudden it was like a friday evening they had about seventy thousand pages dumped and some enterprising people fished through those pages and found tens of thousands of vaccine injuries in there what was the story behind you had 75 years but they dumped it anyway on a night where nobody would care and then no coverage from media none of course no coverage from media because they're complicit in the game the media gets seven and a half billion dollars of advertising funds from pharma and if you haven't studied the Trusted News Initiative, anybody listening, go study it. It's a collusion between BBC, Reuters, AP, uh, Google, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, New York Times, Washington Post, uh, 
French press, Deutsche press, etc., etc. They all colluded to say we will control the narrative on the shots and we will control the narrative on COVID. It's a it's a mob. It's a RICO statute uh, statute collusion. To catch this full interview and the entire show, visit thebuffshow.com. We'll be right back. Veritas Tactical. Tactical, a family and law enforcement owned company where you can get custom built ARs with purpose built precision. They have a full line of handguns like Glock, Six Hour, Smith & Wesson, and get your everyday carry items and accessories. Moreover, they are your Liberty Safe dealer. Need training? Veritas Tactical has all you need from getting your CCW to advanced tactical courses, female survival courses, and force on force scenarios. Veritas Tactical has a full time gunsmith on site, Sarah Coding Services, Laser engraving and more mention the buff show and get a 25 dollar discount on courses you'll find veritas tactical at 207 north goldenrod road suite 200 in orlando contact veritas tactical 407-309-3000 and at veritas tactical.com veritas tactical you heard about the simple math with a solar electric system earlier in the show not all homes qualify an energy evaluation by a qualified professional to get the fully informed information is always recommended. If your home qualifies, solar is always a prudent financial move. All Solar Energy in Longwood has been educating homeowners, roofing companies, property management firms, and now radio hosts about solar for 22 years. We have experts to perform no cost, no obligation energy evaluations to see if your home qualifies and explain the simple math of solar. Call All Solar Energy tomorrow at 866-412-4218 or visit the website www.allsolarenergy.com. Let them know you heard about it from me, Matt Buff, on The Buff Show. Welcome back to the Map Up Show. Great to have you with us on this Thursday, 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 crazy Thursday. Absolutely. It's Freedom Foundation Thursday on the Buff Show. Very cool stuff. The Freedom Foundation is not your average think tank. The Freedom Foundation is a battle tank. Our job is to defend the rights of public employees against the nation's biggest bullies, government unions. Government unions are the single largest funder of the radical left in America. They take money directly out of the pockets of hardworking teachers and other public employees to impose their extremist agenda, which now includes closing our schools, defunding the police, and promoting racism through the teaching of critical race theory. The Freedom Foundation is here to stop all that by helping tens of thousands of public employees leave their unions in Oregon and throughout the country. We're liberating people to put their money back in their pockets and out of the union's radical political agenda. Thank you for standing with us in the biggest battle that we face as freedom fighters. Okay, we're going to go and visit somebody new from the Freedom Foundation that hasn't been on the show before. Shella Alcabez on the Buff Show. Great to have you, Shella. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we got a lot to talk about um, the evils of public sector unions and how they differ from private sector unions. We get this question a lot on our show. And so we want to address that with you today, the difference between uh, private and public. So 
we'll be talking about that. But first, talk about your history. Um, your family immigrated to America by escaping communism in the Eastern Bloc, and it, we're kind of bringing communism communism back to you. So I apologize for that. <laughs> yes, it's it's uh, kind of shocking what's going on. But uh, yeah, I was born in Ukraine uh, at the time. It was the USSR. And we immigrated here when I was five in 1989, before uh, the fall of the Berlin Wall and before it all fell apart. So when we left, we didn't know that communism would end in the Eastern Bloc. We were fleeing and thinking that this was going to be our future forever. At least my parents. I was five. So, you know, I just went with it. But um, I do know all the stories and the horrors that they faced, um, you know, including the fact that everyone worked for the government. I mean, there was no private sector at all. That's, you know, an obvious part of socialism. So my mother's a doctor. She worked for the for the government. She made 100 rubles a month. And of that 100 rubles, she had to give five to be in a public sector union that she didn't want to be a part of. And it's kind of hilarious that everyone works for the government and they still had to be part of a union. So, you know, it was, a, it was a crazy place to be. So for you growing up, hearing these stories and knowing what your family went through, the, the freedom foundation was a great fit for you. Yes. I, I have to say it's literally my dream come true to work there. Uh, you know, I worked as a corporate lawyer for about 10 years and it was interesting. I liked it, but I always knew that this was the kind of work I wanted to be doing. And I, I feel so, I hate this word, but blessed. I feel blessed. You know, it's just so overused, but I feel blessed to work there. So, People do throw the word blessed and love around quite a bit. Yes. <laughs> um, I hope you don't mind that I take a sip from my leftist tears mug. I know it's a competing show, but you know, I just no, no, <laughs> that's great because there's nothing more delicious, delicious than leftist peers. That is true. No, I, I don't yes. mind that at all. That is great stuff. So what is your role at the Freedom Foundation? What are you primarily focused on? So I'm an attorney uh, and I am licensed to practice in Washington, in California and in New York. So I barely used my New York license when I first started, uh, but about two years ago, but about a year ago, we started a national expansion. And so now I actually actively practice in New York as well. And most of my cases are still in California and Washington, but I, I do practice in New York now, now that we're expanding. Okay, good deal. And those are some hot spots for you guys. I mean, that's where union control runs rampant. And so oh, talk yeah. about the talk about the difference between public sector and private sector unions uh, because we we've talked about both, but we've really never broken down the difference for our, our, our audience. Yeah, thanks so much for giving me an opportunity to discuss that because I think it's a very important and nuanced point. So Private unions exist like the United Auto Workers or, you know, the potential union that could have existed in Amazon. And those protect the workers that work there. Public sector unions are unions for public workers, for government workers. They already have the best jobs. They can't get fired. They get paid well. They're recession proof. So it's unclear why they need unions. But that said, here's what's so pernicious. If private union, like the United Auto Workers, tries to demand things that would bankrupt its own company, 
they just wouldn't do that because they would lose their jobs. But public sector unions can demand whatever they want as much as they want. And they just know that the government's big purse is just going to keep paying them straight from the taxpayer, straight from the taxpayer. And so they do. They do make crazy demands. Like in a case that we had during the pandemic, UTLA, a public sector teachers union in Los Angeles, demanded that Los Angeles defund the police before the union workers, the teachers, would go back to school. I mean, that demand already just exceeds even financial requests and demands that they have. This is just, they're just asking for the moon and they can, they can hold the government hostage. And, you know, if, if Amazon gets bankrupted or, you, you know, Ford gets bankrupted from its union, nothing happens. We'll just buy General Motors, we'll buy Toyotas. But if public sector unions bankrupt our government, then we can't function. So there's something very different and evil and pernicious about them. And, um, you know, stop me if I'm rambling. One other point that I have that I think is very important to understand is the largesse of public sector unions around America is part of this new socialism called public-private partnerships. It used to be the old socialism is, oh, let's make everything run by the government. But now the left-wing governments are using private sector, like corporations and public sector unions to do their bidding. So public sector unions raise money then they give it straight back to politicians on the left. Those politicians give the money back to the unions. And it's like this never ending cycle that really just hurts the taxpayer. So those are my two cents on that. And so now our audience is going, oh, all these interviews <laughs> we've heard are mainly about 99% about the public sector. And I want to get that out there because your legal team is just fighting. People request to have due stopped. Our Supreme Court said they can do that. And they request to have their due stopped. And then the union ignores it or send letters and they fight you guys. So that's your legal battles that you're doing for the Freedom Foundation is protecting not just your information that's going out there, but you're trying to say, hey, this guy wants to opt out and you're not letting him. Yeah, absolutely. And um, the reason that that happens is that the public sector unions elect politicians, you know, they gave so much money to Governor Newsom's reelection campaign, just as an example, that there was just no chance he wouldn't be reelected. And what they get in return is they get laws that lock people into union membership. So, for example, there'll be laws that say you have to stay in a public sector union for four years. And if throughout that time, you know, you join on month one thinking maybe these are good guys. And then you realize very quickly, they're not such good guys. You have to keep your money is just taken out of your paycheck every month. You can't do anything about it because it's not like you write a check to the union and then every month you have to write a new check. It's just like your taxes. They just, take it straight out of your paycheck before you could blink. And that is specifically codified in the statutes that they get to have that process. They take your money and there's nothing you could do about it. It'll go on for years. 
And worst of all, that money then goes directly to causes that you oppose. And that is a violation of free speech. No one should be forced in this country to support things they don't support. That's why the Democrats are so pro-union, because they get millions and millions of dollars from unions. And there might be a teacher or a government worker that's conservative, and it's like, my union's funding something that I completely disagree with. And that's where they don't understand what to do, and that's when they call you guys. But for crying out loud, this is why the left is so hard, and some Republicans too, so hardcore on the unions because it finances their political ambitions. That's it. And then they do the bidding and now they unions own a piece of that politician, right? They can help dictate policy and go after parents who are protesting a school board, for example. Hey, DOJ, you should go after these guys. They're hurting us. They're directing yes. policy with some of those funds too. Yes. And in the states where unions have, uh, you know, exclusive representation over uh, government public sector jobs, those unions are so powerful in those states that they're the most powerful funders of the politicians in those states. And there's just no way to break out of that cycle unless we get people out. And that's what we have to do is get people out. Freedomfoundation.com is where you go. And you guys are hiring too, right? Yes, we are. We would love... Uh, we all sorts of different kinds of folks, especially people to help us do outreach to different um, public sector unions throughout the country, help us get people to know about their rights. They don't have to support unions that they don't believe in. Um, I'll say one thing that's really interesting also, if I can give you another difference between private and public sector unions, public sector unions are for certain going to be left wing because their entire goal and all of the money they donate is just to get themselves more money. And there's only one party, the left, you know, the Democrats that are going to fund government more. Whereas private sector unions, interestingly enough, during the pandemic, they stood up for a lot of their workers' rights. Um, there were several public uh, private sector unions that stood up for workers that didn't want to be vaccinated. So like if, you know, I, I think I remember it was a Ford factory where Ford required vaccination for their employees in order to maintain their job. And the private sector union stood up and said, here's some people they don't want to, they can't, they don't believe in it, it may be harmful to them, you need to give them exemptions. And that kind of actual defense of workers does not happen in, in public sector unions. Public sector unions don't care about the employees. They only care about their political agenda. That is a well put statement. And that is absolutely true. Every story I hear from the Freedom Foundation, it's like, it's like they don't care and they don't. They don't. That is a company. That is an organization that is trying to build the company. Whereas absolutely. the Ford workers you talked about, they were fighting for their individual worker rights. So it's important to distinguish between the two. Join Freedom Foundation today, freedomfoundation.com. Shella Akobus, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Sure. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, excellent discussion and excellent insight. We appreciate it. That'll do it for this evening edition of The Buff Show. You guys stay smart out there. We'll see you next time.